This is Lewis Riddick of ESPN, and you are listening to the SteelerNation.com podcast. Hello, and welcome to your SteelerNation.com podcast, sponsored by Total Sports Enterprises. I'm your host, G Stryker, and with me today is Steeler Nation writer, Zach Moore. Zach, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, my friend? And <laughs> Doing great. Doing great. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be back on the show. It took a little hiatus for being on the show, yeah. uh, but it is always great to be able to sit down to you and talk to you face-to-face as opposed to uh, texting. And uh, I know I'm not Lewis Riddick. I know <laughs> I'm not your biggest guest you've ever had, but but uh, it's really fun to be here, and I really do enjoy sitting down and just chit-chatting with you. None of us are Lewis Riddick. <laughs> so I'm happy to be chatting with anybody. Glad to have you back on the show, Zach. First thing I wanted to talk about today on the show is the Hall of Fame class. And since we didn't have a 2020 Hall of Fame due to COVID-19, this is like a a, a much larger class uh, for this year. Actually, I'm going to take a step back and go with Hall of Honor first because I want to talk about locally in Pittsburgh What's going on with our Hall of Honor? Who are our new inductees? And uh, let's take a little chat about them. Of course, that also happened the same way. We weren't able to induct any of our 2020 Hall of Honor people here directly in Pittsburgh. Troy Polamalu being the one of the ones saying he's going to now come back and be with us as part of this ceremony. And he was supposed to be inducted last year along with James Ferrier, Greg Lloyd, and two great players from the 70s, Dwight White, the great defensive lineman, and Mike Wagner, the safety, ones that don't always get the notoriety and the Hall of Fame respect, but were huge integral parts with both of those guys being starters and winning four Super Bowls. Absolutely. I mean, just looking at this list, I mean, I feel I feel kind of like I'm being a little bit disrespectful not knowing all of the names on this list, but I just feel like that's a – byproduct of me being from the Northeast and, and not knowing the Steelers history as well as I should add. I know Troy Palomalu though. And I know <laughs> that in the 1970s, the Steelers are pretty good. Yes. They won, they won a couple Super Bowls during that era. Yeah. Greg Lloyd is one of my all time favorite linebackers ever. He was super disruptive, uh, much like James Harrison. He played kind of the same way. He was a bigger guy, a stronger guy and more, or less just overpowered the people in front of him to make huge sacks and huge tackles for losses. James Ferrier just being that stalwart in the middle that we got to steal from the Jets, former first round draft pick there and kind of picked him up in free agency. And he just became a monster for us. Uh, borderline Hall of Fame player, in my opinion. Um, but we'll have to see how that works out. But this year's uh, Hall of Honor class is also some, some interesting calls and probably a couple before your time. But Lewis Lips was the first name that I heard, big wide receiver. First jersey I ever owned was an 83 Lewis Lips jersey back when I was a, a child byproduct of the 80s. And Lewis Lips was just making huge plays on punt returns, kick returns, down the field. I think he won uh, Offensive Rookie of the Year his first year. Yeah, yeah, his first year in the league. Big play receiver. Um, if we had somebody really compliment getting him the ball, he could have had even better stats. Dare I say, if we had somebody like Marino, that would be nicer, but he was a phenomenal, phenomenal athlete, great player. Um, and then one that should be known Kevin Kolb also being another seventies player played on four Super Bowls, never made a pro bowl. But one thing of interest I wanted to note from Kevin Kolb is in his four Super Bowls, he went up against four of the best pass rushers in existence. 
and he didn't allow a single sack in any of those Super Bowls. So that was that's a pretty big, um, a pretty big feather in your cap for that one. Uh, Carnell Lake was one of my all-time favorite safeties. I didn't get to see Shell play as much um, because I was too young to really enjoy and understand how good he was. But Carnell Lake was that guy that was always making plays out of that strong safety spot. And the year that Rod Woodson went down and tore his ACL in week one against the Lions, um, first, I think first four weeks of the, of the league, we didn't win a game until we shifted Carnell Lake from strong safety over to starting outside cornerback and filling in for that Rod Woodson spot. Steelers didn't lose the next 10 games, ended up going to the Super Bowl that year. I mean, that was a, that, that's how good Carnell Lake played. You, you can't have an all-world cornerback go down, then not only shift to cornerback, but end up making the all-pro and Pro Bowl squad at corner being a strong safety. It, it was just an insane season for Carnell Lake, and he's very deserving to be on this list. And the last one that everyone knows, of course, is Tunchilkin famed uh, offensive lineman throughout many, many of the years there through the eighties and um, was obviously a broadcaster here last 25 years in Pittsburgh. Um, unfortunately uh, getting diagnosed with ALS and having to retire this year. I think it was the, it was a move the Steelers had to make to make sure that he can really enjoy this moment um, and a well-deserved moment and one that he was going to get regardless uh, he is a, a ring of honor um, uh, athlete, in my opinion, and, and just uh, no question about it. Do you know any of these guys here, Zach? Um, well, one of them that I should know is Carnell Lake. I mean, Hall of Fame, all 1990s team, one-time All-Pro, five-time Pro Bowler, and then kind of that 1997 season at right cornerback. Yep. I mean, he had six sacks as a as a defensive back. Yes. And then also just looking at other stats, one forced fumble, 38 yards. And then the year before, he actually led the league in fumble yard returned with 85 combined yards. Mm. And, I mean, it, just looking at statistically, obviously I wasn't old enough to watch any of this. Yeah. Just 60 tackles combined for a cornerback is not bad whatsoever, especially yeah. when that's, talking about the sick time period that it was, it is. Yeah. Yeah, especially when the ball's usually like spread out throughout the field. I mean, he was only on one side of the field making 60 tackles. Exactly. That's a huge number for a corner for tackles. Colton, good to see you over there on Facebook. You too, Sam Cox. And yes, Brian Brown over on YouTube. We do remember the year that O'Donnell forgot what a Steeler jersey looked like, unfortunately. But <laughs> I digress. Moving on to the 2020 class of the Hall of Fame now. And we had a, a couple players that ended up you know, not being able to be enshrined and get their gold jackets and get their bust uh, put uh, show on display for everyone. Uh, sorry for my terminology there, ladies. Uh, but the, for for the, the bust that gets put in Canton, <laughs> the bronzed statue, uh, James, uh, we, who we have on there, that's for Hall of Fame week. We had, um, no, are my notes all screwed up here? It looks like uh, my notes are all screwed up. Anyway, I think I put combined them all in the same sheet. Uh, I know Alan Fanica and uh, Troy Polamalu are on the list uh, this year. Obviously, we all know Troy and Alan. Uh, Coach Cower as well going in. Donnie Shell was a historical addition last year, I believe. And Bill Nunn is a contributor this year as a senior scout and assistant player of uh, assistant director of player personnel behind some of those great, great finds of those 70s teams, you know, finding those smaller school uh, black college athletes that just 
the NFL wasn't in tune to, didn't understand the talent that was in those, in those colleges and, you know, Stallworth and Shell and, and the, you know, the list keeps, keeps going on and on, even small college too. He was one of the people integral in finding um, Lambert over at Kent state to be able to come over and play inside linebacker for us, even being undersized, but you can't measure the size of a heart in that guy, but just a, a fantastic, fantastic group of players. And, and what's your take here on the, the hall of famers now looks like one, two, three, four, five Steeler hall of famers this year. That's it's It's a pretty nice class. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of Hall of Famers, do the Steelers have the most? Because I would have to believe that it's either got to be them or maybe the Packers or maybe the Bears. It's The Raiders are up there as well because what they always did was they, during the 80s and 90s, they'd always like grab players that were on a Hall of Fame track at the end of their careers and they'd just be on their team for a year. I think Woodson, Rod Woodson yeah. was on there for a year. I, I think, geez, I think even Deion Sanders might have played with them for a bit. Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice so yeah. they, they they pull on these guys at the end of their career just to you know up their numbers I guess for the Hall of Fame I don't know but uh, <laughs> but but it's it, the Steelers do have an amazing amount obviously those 70s teams being a a huge proponent of talent yeah. that really and I mean we're still even arguing I mean now that they that some people have gone back historically and tracked players like Elsie Green sacks Elsie Green led all of the Steelers in sacks during his time in, in the league yeah. And he's not even mentioned as a Hall of Famer. And he, he honestly, like Elsie Green is another deserving, deserving player. Shell obviously getting in and finally getting the notoriety that he deserves. Uh, and making that draft class of 1974 even that much more incredible because now the Steelers have five Hall of Famers from that draft class, even though Shell wasn't actually drafted. He was an undrafted rookie free agent that season, brought into the Steelers, and that was back when they had like 20 rounds or something, like huge amount. I mean, he came in like way down on the depth chart, made the team, worked his ass off, and just became a starter and started winning Super Bowls, man. The guy was something else. Really interesting stuff. I don't know, 19, I'm just looking at a pro football reference right now. Just looking at uh, playoffs, 1978, three games, one interception for yep. five yards. And then, and then he also had a fumble recovery as well and a half a sack. Right. Doesn't right. get much better than that. And also going back that far, it's kind of weird to look at all the uh, different stats that they don't have yep. compared to today where you have – I mean, like you have like a pass deflection stat. You have like yeah. these individual pass, yeah. stats that add more, more and more depth to the game. But to go back to the 1970s, mm-hmm. uh, when my father was a teenager, and mm-hmm. and kind of seeing what is going on in terms of how these players were playing back then, it's really interesting. Yeah, definitely is. And now. We move on from the players of the past. We get to watch them this weekend. Hall of Fame game. What is that coming up on Thursday here, Zach? Is it Thursday or is it Saturday? Oh, gosh. I, wrote, I wrote something about it. <laughs> you wrote an article on it. You should know. <laughs> I did write an article on it. August. Oh, Thursday, August 5th at yep, 8, 8 o'clock. Yeah, I have that on my calendar for Thursday. Uh, but the enshrinement usually occurs Saturday, Sunday. I don't know if they're going to stretch it out to two days this year. But we, Steelers, we got a lot of reasons to watch enshrinement this year, as well as the Hall of Fame game because we're playing in it. So yes. Dallas against the Steelers first game, obviously our starters aren't going to be playing at all, but we have a really interesting training camp right now. The battles are starting to heat up. And of course I've got to start with the most interesting battle in all of training camp, the punters. 
dead heat with Barry and Harvin out there punting the ball. It looks like right now Harvin has the stronger leg, but Barry seems to be a little bit more consistent. And thank you very much, Alex Kazora, for all the work you're doing over there uh, for letting the Steeler fans know what's going on at training camp. It feels like we're actually there with all of your training camp diaries. Go over and check out Alex Kazora's readings over at Steeler Depot, guys. He's a, he's a, a treasure for Steeler Nation to behold. And if you want to really get the up, the in-depth information on what's happening exactly he is more precise than any reporter i've ever seen so really great read so that's the big one training camp obviously punting being my one of my favorite things to talk about but the one that everybody wants to talk about now is quarterback and zach i i think right now from what i'm here in training camp it's time to start getting a little bit excited over Dwayne haskins i mean absolutely i mean when talking about Dwayne Haskins, obviously you have the on-the-field performance where you have what we saw back in college at Ohio State where he had a giant arm. He wasn't extremely mobile, but he's able to move inside of the pocket. He's yeah. not going to kill you with accuracy, but he's still middle of the pack in terms of accuracy. Mm-hmm. I feel like the thing that kind of brought him away was doing the off-the-field stuff, taking a selfie when he's supposed to be in the game or or even doing things such as and this wasn't a big thing at the moment but looking back now yeah he did this thing for i think it was with gq and it was how i spent my first million dollars okay and it was a special segment about you get a million dollar like check and how, how are you spending it or how did you spend your first million dollars as an nfl player and he was like, I spent $13,000 on a watch. I bought a house. I bought yeah. a really nice car. Yeah. I spent this much money on clothes. And kind of seeing that decision-making at that moment of time, obviously, you're going to you're gonna want to spend that type of money. But looking back on it now, you're kind of like, you're able to connect the dots and be like, okay, maybe financially, he's not the, he's not the smartest or most uh, intelligent with his money, but and maybe that translates to football. And I mean, we saw him with the Washington football team. Yeah. It didn't end up working out now, whether that was a part of him or was that just because the organization was going through so much turmoil with uh, having to get a new coach and all of that stuff that's yet to be seen yet. And I think if given the chance, if he's going to be the future quarterback of the Steelers after Ben Roethlisberger is gone, I don't know what he's going to look like. Maybe he's in a more stable situation because the organization of the Steelers is known for being stable. You have Mike Tomlin being the coach pretty much since I was a little kid. He's been, he's been in that head coach position for a long, long time. There's not a lot of turnover. It's very stable organization. And I think that Dwayne Haskins could thrive in that. He definitely yeah. is. Yeah. And, and he's, he's putting up numbers and the crazy thing is right now in training camp, he's getting more snaps right now currently than any other quarterback in training camp, even though he's running with the threes um, you know, Rudolph is strictly running with the, uh, the twos normally, unless Ben's not there, then they each move up to the ones and the twos. Uh, but I find it very interesting. They're still very close to their snaps. Alex Kazora also keeps track of the snaps and everything else. Uh, Haskins has 76 snaps. Mason Rudolph has 72 snaps. They're still pretty comparable, though. It's, they, they get a lot of reps because Ben's only – he takes a day off at least every week. 
Um, so that's, and right now that's the only way Josh Dobbs is getting any snaps as the fourth quarterback right now is when, Bob, when, when Roethlisberger is taking that day off. So it looks like Dobbs right now really isn't making the move, but coming up for numbers wise, Dwayne Haskins is killing it for yardage. He's got 418 yards, his completion percentage, 66.7. That's last place right now with, with the, uh, with the other quarterbacks, but what he's doing with those completions, he's got a 7.7 yards per average, seven touchdowns, two interceptions so far charted in, in training camp or the four, four days of training camp that has been open to the public. Um, Mason Rudolph, conversely, 236 yards, the 71% passing, uh, passing efficiency, four touchdowns, three interceptions. So much more interceptions. Ben's with four touchdowns, no interceptions. Josh Dobbs, six touchdowns, one interceptions. Ben's at 70%. Josh Dobbs at 75%, uh, but he's only got 20 throws. So, you know, it, it's it's interesting to see these numbers. This is And this is an effective year because – as I've been charting and watching training camp, we always have that one quarterback that just doesn't have it, isn't doing it. I mean, we had a great season that year too, when we had Dobbs, uh, Rudolph and duck, but Rudolph and duck were outplaying Dobbs that year. And that's why the Steelers could trade Dobbs that year. Dobbs is playing well this year so far. So I'm really excited to see what Dwayne Haskins, what Mason Rudolph, what just Josh Dobbs can do in this game, this upcoming uh, Thursday night. And that's, that's what I'm excited to watch. I want to see these new players, I want to see Haskins go out there. I, I want to see if that translates his practice numbers, which right now appear to be a lot more exciting than we'd be expected to accept as Steeler fans, especially running with the threes mostly, but he's making plays. The guy's making plays with his legs. He's extending plays, getting on the outside. It seems like here in training camp and he's, he's making some plays down the field. So that's a good thing to see. Now, moving on to running backs, we've got, Harris, obviously the new phenom being drafted. Uh, it seems like also Kevin Balage and McFadden seem to be on the rise. Uh, they're getting a lot of snaps. McFadden's making a lot of catches. And all three of these running backs are making fairly decent catches downfield in the new offense. And I think probably you're starting to see McFadden shine now that Matt Canada's offense is one that he is used to playing with it in Maryland there. When he had his big year in Maryland, it was because – of Matt Canada running the offense that season. And, and one thing I do want to point out about, about Harrison and one thing that kind of, it's not really a question mark, but it's kind of this idea of specifically the running back position at Alabama. They get so many touches. They're also in the sec. So you're having the biggest and the best defensive linemen, linebackers, all the people that will be tackling you. I want to see how, especially, and I've, hammered this point multiple times in my articles, how this 17 game season will affect these players specifically with Najee Harris. Cause he's not, he's not like the type of um, he's, he's a big body, but he is not a, um, a Tennessee Titans running back. I don't know why I yeah. can't think of his name. Right Henry, now. Henry. Yeah. Derek Henry. He's yeah. not a Derek Henry type body where he's six foot nine, 350 pounds. Mm. He's, He's a little smaller frame and also with that added fact of him being from Alabama and having all of those touches while in college because Nick Saban loves to run the ball. He's, he's switched over now with uh, his quarterbacks as he's gotten much and much higher recruits. But I said that's still probably my big question mark in terms of Najee Harris. I haven't been able to watch a lot of the the training camp and that opening type stuff, but I'm very close. I'm very close. I work at Rally House during the day. So so I get the updates on my phone and I'm like, 
okay. And also I work uh, at Pirate Stadium. So I'm right there and I can I can smell something cooking over there. Nice. And thank you, Brian Brown. Yes, it's it's McFarlane, not McFadden. I, this is what I do. I actually pair names incorrectly at times. I'm not talking about Brian McFadden. I'm talking about McFarland, our running back. And um, a couple more points. I wanted to also say, Brian, you made a great point about uh, his favorite safety being Darren Perry. That was an interception machine over there on that defense as well. It's Carnell Lake, Rod Woodson, and former Penn Stater as well. If you did not did not know that, Zach, you being from Penn State, but he was a great player. There's uh, patrolling the secondary for the Steelers there for a couple years or for quite a few years. And uh, last point from Brian, I doubt the, the Dallas starters can beat the Steelers backups. And, and this year, I, I tend to agree with you. Steelers seem to be pretty deep across the entire the entire line. And and right now, I mean, especially too with the offensive line, which I'll touch on here in, in a second, but the last thing I wanted to state on the running backs, it looks like uh, Benny Snell and Jalen Samuels are starting to fall a little bit in their opportunities and nice to see Derek Watt finally getting pass catching opportunities. The guy was a tight end, you know, through high school and a monster on the field uh, back in his high school days and then made some plays too in college with his hands. So I'm excited to see, him get some catches and, and work some plays down the field here too. But for offensive line, we've been getting, we've been pretty banged up this training camp and obviously they want to get everybody in and healthy right now, but they've had Finney and Hassenauer have been hurt. So right now the default center is our rookie Kendrick green's getting the snaps and that's pretty big because Steeler nation knows that Kendrick green has the most talent out of all the centers on the field. He just has the least amount of experience. Uh, but right now it looks like by de facto, he is now the de facto center, starting center for the Steelers currently in a preseason. Just got Zach Banner back today at right tackle. He did some of the drills. He did the uh, the sevens, seven shots there on the goal line, uh, but didn't do the uh, the live tackling drills and everything else. He's working his way back from that, that horrible ACL injury that he took uh, week one last season. So good to see him finally working his way back. And and um, Dotson is starting to work his way back and, and Chooks as well. I think Chooks was actually dressed today, did some individuals, but did not um, didn't play on the field at all. Dotson still hasn't really done anything yet. So we're still waiting to hear back from him. Um, uh, but I'm at least excited about the offensive line. It seems like they are more aggressive, more downhill. And they're hungry. They're younger and they're hungry. I mean, you've got guys like Moore on the playing tackle now default because he's with the starters. Also, our other drafted ta- drafted lineman um, playing. We we've got three essentially three drafted linemen playing this year with Kendrick Green at the center. You got uh, Moore over at left tackle right now, and then you have Pat Fryermuth coming in as the uh, the tight end, which is essentially an extension of the line. So pretty neat to see those those guys getting. A lot of reps here early in training camp, especially with injuries now to Eric Ebron with Chooks working through some stuff and with uh, the two centers that I mentioned earlier working through some stuff. So how has uh, Trey Turner looked over there at right guard during uh, training camp? Has he been getting a lot of reps? I know he's older, mm-hmm. so maybe he hasn't been getting as many reps just because he's kind of a vet. But, I mean, any insights on how Trey Turner's look? I know that was a big addition during the yeah. off. Yeah, I mean, it's – how great is it that you have the opportunity when you lose, you know, a multiple pro bowler and you can pick up a multiple pro bowler in the same spot at essentially the same age. So it was kind of a plug and play when David DeCastro went down, Trey Turner's coming in. 
the big thing for training camp, you know, nobody's there's been no news on him getting beat. He's solid as hell and he's still playing. He's running with the ones. So that's that's good thing to hear from him. Uh, tight end wise, too. I know I touched on Pat Fryermuth, but he's really impressing with his catches. He's not dropping passes at all, which is really weird to see for us for our tight ends because we haven't really had that since Heath Miller just being so automatic and Bruner before him, too. And we have great hands as well. Um, but, you know, Gentry, Zach Gentry's improving and he's a big, big target being six foot eight. Um, but both of them are getting more snaps now with with Ebron and his hurt elbow. And I'm a little concerned about Eric Ebron as well, because last year he also had an elbow issue. So now I'm starting to think that this is something that might that that might have been taken care of or could have been taken care of in the offseason if there was something that required surgery, but they were trying to work it back. So I'm, I'm hoping it's not that severe and it's just some minor issues, but we'll have to see. Is there any tight ends that you like coming out? Um, I mean, the big one is is Pat Fryermuth, just because I've seen him play before being at Penn State. Exactly. I've been, been to a couple of his games and just kind of seeing him play with uh, the uh, – and not having the greatest uh, quarterback play, being able to see him kind of reach out and make certain catches like that. Like, obviously it's the big 10. So he's not going to be facing up against high level linebackers that he will be seeing in the NFL, especially in the AFC North, like over, over with the Ravens specifically, yeah. you're going to play them two times a year and they have, yeah killers at linebackers so and defensive line they always have monsters eating up space at defensive line as well yeah especially Calais Campbell over there he's an absolute monster yeah but I think the main thing for for him is to kind of find that balance I don't know what kind of formation they're going to be running Mm -hmm. if they're going to have Ebron and Firemuth out at the same time, and one's going to go out for a pass, and the other's going to be that extra blocker. I think they could do a lot of different formations with that, and then maybe an empty backfield, or or maybe or maybe have uh, two wide receivers, two tight ends, and a and a running back back there. They can do a lot of combinations because Firemuth can do multiple things. Obviously, we haven't seen at the NFL level yet, but in college, I I firsthand. I saw what he was able to do, uh, not only blocking, but also catching the ball. Yeah. And hi, Jordan. We see you there too. Hey guys over from uh, Facebook, Jordan joined us and Brandon James Wallace, the editor in chief over here at Steeler nation coming through with some great stats as well. Najee is six foot one, two forty. Henry is six foot two forty seven. So we have comparable sizes actually for these two running backs, which is interesting. Much, much bigger than I thought too. I was with you as well, Zach. I thought Najee was, you know, you think Henry is just this monster. You think he's like Bettis size, but no, it's Najee's pretty comparable. So it'll be interesting to see how he does this year. I didn't um, know that. Yeah, Najee I didn't know definitely that. is faster though. That then, yeah, I definitely feel as though he's faster. Yeah, yeah, but we'll see. We'll see if he can start making those uh those bowling ball moves, knocking people around like bowling pins. I'd like to see that out of Najee as well. Uh, but he, you can see him hurtling people too. So it's going to be yeah. fun to watch. Um, interesting wide receivers are set this year, Steeler nation, but one interesting wide receiver that I I'm going to mention is Rico Bussey and he's making some plays out here at wide receiver. He's currently the only, he's been tracked right now by Alex as being over hundred yards. Uh, the only receiver over hundred yards, he's making, he's getting touchdowns and making tough plays downfield. And, um, you know, people on the sideline are starting to yell Rico if he's making plays. So they're starting to know his name. So look at Rico Bussey definitely being a guy that's going to be making the, the uh, practice squad. Steelers always keep at least two 
wide receivers on the practice squad each year. And it, it looks like he's got the inside track right now for hanging out there and then being called up in case there's an injury. Um, on the defensive side, the big competition right now looks like it's between Brooks, who was the uh, strong safety drafted um, two years ago out of Maryland and Mallet, the, um, the undrafted rookie free agent uh, at slot corner. So right now it looks like Brooks has the edge, but this is going to be a dog fight and we're going to have to start watching this and in, in, uh, during the games, but these are huge shoes to fill now that Mike Hilton's no longer there. Now that Sutton is no longer really playing the slot as well. And then just to talk about, I I'm looking over at a uh, pro football focus and obviously Millette last year, 247 snaps in the slot last oh, year. Oh, that's right. He played for the freaking um, yeah. Jets, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah that's right. Jets. So not the greatest track record. And I mean, do with this, as you say, uh, I've learned here at my time at Steeler Nation, pro football focus is not well liked. Their ratings are not <laughs> not well liked by uh, Steeler Nation. But uh, take it with, as you will, he was the 85th ranked uh, safety uh, okay. with a 49.7 grade, according to pro football focus. Okay. And I mean... I mean, the main thing is just trying to replace those guys. Like you said, obviously you won't be able to fill those shoes, but you still have Joe Hayden, which is uh, over above, way above average corner who has the experience, who's been, who knows that defense, especially who can help kind of guide these other players along. And then also with special teams, uh, they have people for special teams. Like for example, with uh with Mallette, he played uh 21 snaps, uh kick return 24, punt coverage 20, punt return and 56 of uh field goal and extra point. So, so he's like, yeah, he's getting a lot of snaps on special teams. That's how you can make the team. Yeah, definitely. Exactly. And then another person that I was looking at before we hopped on was James Pierre because mm-hmm. what stuck out to me about him is Although he only played, how many snaps does it actually say he played? Yeah, he started getting some snaps late in the season. He started being on the field more so late in the season. But yeah, he got a lot of special team snaps. Yes, he had uh, in week 17, he had 10 running snaps and eight passing snaps in that week 17 game. And then also in the wild card game, he had he had eight snaps total, seven passing and then one running. And then he also 83 snaps and kick coverage uh 63 in punt coverage and 88 in punt return yeah and he also as the wide cornerback had 30 snaps as opposed Mm -hmm. to only three in the slot so and just to just to kind of go on about his grade he had an 80.3 grade being it that he didn't have that many snaps as just the strict cornerback but it's still something that caught my eye just going through the list of potential corners that could be on the field. And I mean, the thing with this is a lot of these players who weren't able to get an opportunity who were on special teams last year, whether it be uh, the defensive line, the secondary, whatever it may be, they're going to be able to get that playing time Mm -hmm. specifically in training camp, because like last year it was, it was very weird training camp because with all COVID and stuff, right. It was so much harder, but now the things are opening back up and, and I don't know what it's like at the stadium, but I would imagine that pretty much back to normal. And so it kind of adds that familiarity with these players to be able to come back in and not worry about all these protocols and, 
and all that. They can just focus on football. Exactly. And that's what we have to all start getting back to because it's nice to have at least fans back in the stands to be able to watch some of these practices. Um, it, it's No, it's not the college environment like we get over at St. Vincent's, but at least it's something, and it's something that the fans have been waiting for and waiting to enjoy with their family. It's such a fun family atmosphere. So it's it's nice to start at least getting back to some normalcy and hopefully nothing's going to be switching up too crazy. Hopefully this uh, variant won't, won't stop the season again, but keep our fingers crossed, keep distancing as much as we can still. It ain't over. And uh, let's just try to watch some football. Hopefully if we can stay far apart from each other. Um, and you touched on it too with, with Pierre, he's also really starting to impress here in training camp. He's getting more snaps now that Hayden's been taking some day off days off. He's a vet. So they've been giving some vet days off and he's been impressing. He's, he's uh, got two interceptions charted right now. Uh, Wade Brown, Norwood and Fitzpatrick also have been charted with interceptions. So a lot of these younger players that we're bringing in, some of these newer players are starting to make some plays already. And that's nice to see lane's been fading a bit. I know we, he was in the police blotter here a little bit earlier in the uh, off season. And my cat nearly just knocked my whole table over. Ah, all right, just fixed the table so it didn't fall over. And um, so I'm I'm interested to see what these younger guys like Wade, what Brown, what Norwood are going to be bringing here to the table uh, and possibly because we don't have a lot of depth at safety behind Edmonds and behind Fitzpatrick uh, currently here charted. Uh, I mean, Trey Norwood, we just drafted this season in the seventh round. We got an undrafted Miles Killebrew. Uh, listed as the number twos at free safety and strong safety, respectively. Then we have Donovan Snyder and Lamont Wade at those two positions as well. So I, I think for backup at this spot, it's up, to, it's wide open for any of these players to make this team. Uh, I'm thinking, I'm hearing good things about Trey Norwood. I'm hearing good things about Lamont Wade, but we'll have to see how it shakes out and watch some of these preseason games to see how they finally shake out. Uh, but that's, you know, pretty much everything in training camp other than an offensive uh, or sorry, at linebacker high Smith is killing it. He's really doing really well. Um, his moves have expanded and he's just being very disruptive. Roche is making big plays in the backfield. Um, UG three now is really entranced in, in the backup position. He's, he's been hurt the last two seasons getting hurt and not being able to play during the year, but he's always killed it at training camp and he's killing it this year. Buddy got big praise as well too today. Who who said something about him? Was it Minka Fitzpatrick? I think stated or no, it was, it was somebody else that stated that he, it looks like he's going to be a really good player. So I'm I'm excited to see what Buddy's going to do here and Bundage as well is starting to make some plays. So we've got at a position where we didn't think we had any depth at inside linebacker losing Vince Williams. Now it looks like we've got a, a lot of players here that are hungry and trying to make this team. Yeah, absolutely. I I I'm cl- completely agree. Sorry, I'm looking a little bit ahead. Mm-hmm. No, it's our, it's... <laughs> our next topic. But one thing I do want to mention when uh, you did talk about Lamont Wade, yeah, he he definitely reminds me of Terrell Edmonds. Obviously, Lamont Wade mm-hmm. uh, from Penn State. I got to see him play a, f- a few times <laughs> in uh, my junior year. Yeah, I don't remember what year he was. Uh, junior year but I think he might've been a year or two ahead of me. Yeah. And, and yeah, he's definitely not as much of a ball hawk as he would say Minka Fitzpatrick is, but he reminds me a lot of Terrell Edmonds where he, he could really hit hard and he also is able to cover a lot of ground Perfect. after, after somebody is able to catch the football and able to tackle. He's 
absolutely excellent as that. And also I've listened to a couple of his songs on Spotify. So there's nice. Nice. Hey, another budding musician on the Pittsburgh Steelers coming through. (laughs) So now we're getting to the point of the the, the biggest reason why I had you on the show is because we wanted to talk about something that triggers Steeler Nation like none other. And that is the release of the Madden ratings. And I want you to run point on this, Zach, because I know you have the inside track. You play Madden religiously, and I know you're really upset about some of these ratings. So let's start going over what you think are the biggest atrocities for ranking Steelers over there on Madden. Okay, so there is a couple of things. I wouldn't say that I'm too mad about these ratings because specifically, and I'll start off with the quarterback position, if you, you look at the so, rate, so, so you're saying you're not mad about Madden? Uh, no, in certain years, it's <laughs> gotten pretty bad. They've, in, they've introduced a couple of things. The main thing that I play is the franchise mode. Yeah. That's pretty much the only thing that I play, just like building teams and, and drafting players and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's what I'm more into. Yeah. And like, uh, it's, it's over the years, I started playing Madden with, madden it was with barry sanders on the cover it was like madden 25 or something (laughs) like that but it it was like supposed to be madden 15 or something like that it was it was a really um in terms of my age it was a really old madden right and i I mean i was playing the original maddens over on sega genesis (laughs) boom he's on his back i mean there's like it just had like certain clips that would keep popping up that madden would say it was great it was a fun way to try to do um in introducing broadcasting announcers into playing a game to make it feel more realistic. And it did. And it really struck a nerve with, with fans and players and gamers. And now it's just this huge iconic game that everybody plays. Absolutely. And I think it's either that or the NBA 2K games. Those right. are like, once the ratings come out for those two games, it's, it's like, obviously it's more positional with Madden. Because yeah. there's so many positions. Who's the best corner? Who's the best quarterback? Uh, whatever. Right. Whereas with NBA 2K, it's best overall rating. Mm-hmm. But talking about the quarterback position, and with Ben Roethlisberger, I have the list right in front of me. He's currently ranked at 17th ah. with, a, with a current rating of a 78 overall. Now, taking in everything into context – I mean, he is – so some players uh, starting at number 10, Matt Ryan, Baker Mayfield, Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray, Derek Carr, Justin Herbert, Kirk Cousins, Ben Roethlisberger. Then after him is Trevor Lawrence, Jared Goff, Joe Burrow, Cam Newton, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Ryan Fitzpatrick. So to kind of start things off, there was a list earlier – couple weeks ago talking about where Ben Roethlisberger ranked as like quarterback it wasn't specifically about him but it ranked all 32 quarterbacks and I we might have actually talked about this on the podcast because Jameis Winston was was on the list and and um Nick Foles was not it was kind of kind of interesting right and so to look at this list and it's obviously after the drafts or other so there are some rookie quarterbacks on the list but my main contention with this list, and I think I think it's fairly accurate, because I think taking into account everything, 
I think you have to look at Ben Roethlisberger at this point in his career, kind of not, not looking back at last year to put into some context, looking back at last year, you have to think, okay, he's almost 40 years old. Is this the last season of his career? He says, no, the organization itself says no, but you kind of feel like he's not, he's, uh, he's not really looking to get to the Super Bowl again. Like he's not like a Drew Brees type where he's like, I have to get back to the Super Bowl. He comes in and he he does his work and he comes out. He looks like a middle of the pack quarterback, in my opinion, especially yeah. when you look at what he did last year, especially in that uh, wild card playoff game where he didn't look insanely good. And I think part of the reason for that is because he's coming off an injury, which we really haven't seen in the in the NFL, which oh, it's more of a baseball injury when he had Tommy right. John surgery. Right. And so I think it's it's hard for him specifically to come into this season where he's going to be a top of the line quarterback. There was a time where he absolutely was a top five, top ten quarterback. Easy. He has one of the strongest arms in the NFL. Mm -hmm. He was one of the best decision makers and deep ball throwers that we had seen when he had Antonio Brown on the squad, when he had Heinz Ward. In both of those Super Bowls, he played extremely well. Yeah. And I think now at this current age, as a result of him, not taking care of his health in the offseason as religiously as he has reportedly this offseason, I think it's kind of hurt him. And that's why I think when it says he's a 78 overall, make of that whatever you want. Like, it's just what Madden is saying. It's a, it's a combination of all of the ratings that they put together. I would assume that maybe he might have the slowest speed compared to Tom Brady. It's, it's pretty close right there, but yeah. in terms of, in terms of accuracy and all that kind of stuff, I, I would assume he's probably middle of the pack. And I think part of the reason why people would obviously push back on me is because he's going to put up big, big numbers this upcoming season. And my reason for that is because he has, if not one of the top five, one of the top three defenses in the league, he's got a, a young but relatively good offensive line with the addition of Trey Turner. They look, they look like they have some good people on the plate. And then also with Zach Banner, who was a terrific college player, his last season in college. Yep. And then you have the addition of Najee Harris, a extremely good running back hmm. to come onto the squad to help them with that running game. Cause last year they were probably the worst running team and Ben was still able to put up numbers and then you have another year of Chase Claypool, another year of Juju, and another year of Deontay Johnson, who I think Deontay Johnson coming into this season, it's sort of like a make-or-break season that we have seen before. And I think he's going to try and and go out and really perform well this, this season. And I think as a result of that, people are going to say, Zach, he looked extremely good. He threw over 4,000 yards. He had 35 touchdowns. Why, why are you saying this? And, I, and my reasoning is if he were to do this on another team, isn't as good. Let's take for somebody who was put below him, Trevor Lawrence at the 18th spot. If he was put onto that roster, I don't, I don't think he would have as good of a season as Trevor Lawrence will have this upcoming season as a result of his age. And then also his skills being diminished just because of his body breaking down. It's not like historically he's not a great quarterback. If you look at pro football reference, 
he is the greatest player in, in Steelers history in terms of added value to the team. He's the number one on that list right behind him. I believe is Jack hammer or, or um, there might be somebody else that I'm missing Joe green or Terry Bradshaw or something like that. I'm not diminishing what he's done throughout his career. I'm just talking about this upcoming season. And now people are more than willing to disagree with me. And I'm coming at this from the perspective to kind of see what, what kind of my thoughts are, you know? So that's, that's kind of where I'm at with Ben Rossberger. So saying 17th overall, 78 overall rating, you'd say that's essentially right about where he should be for the season on, on Madden essentially. Yeah. And, and for this, I would say probably ratings. I'm not really too sure, but in terms of kind of the rankings where he's the kind of middle of the pack quarterback, I definitely feel as though he's, middle of the pack at this point in his career maybe and a couple I, years ago he'd be better but yeah and, and i agree with you I, I talking with riddick about there as well and i have accepted the fact that he's not a top five quarterback in a year but he is a hall of fame quarterback and mm-hmm. he is going to make the right plays at the right time and he knows how to win games that's not always reflected in stats that's something that he's going to come back in the fourth quarter and win his games he's going to exactly. make big plays when he needs to make a big third down when he gets sacked and we're behind the chains he can make that throw, that 25-yard throw, that 30-yard throw, get us a new set of downs. And that's what I love about the guy. So moving on to the wide receivers, I see you had Juju Juju being ranked 84, Deontay Johnson 81, Chase Claypool at 78. How do you think these rankings fit for these players? Uh, it's kind of interesting because if you look back to last year, Chase Claypool seemed to be the best wide receiver on the team. And we saw what Juju kind of garnered in free agency he actually went back to the Steelers there was some interest from the Ravens if if you can think back but in terms of ratings once again I I really can't really say if I can say one player is better than the other and I would say probably Chase Claypool at this point this upcoming season I think he'll be better than Deontay Johnson now Deontay Johnson will have better uh statistical numbers just because I think that's how He'll be on the depth chart. He'll get more targets and more opportunities. But I think Chase Claypool is the future of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Steelers have a very good history of drafting wide receivers. Yeah, they do. And they really don't tend to trade for wide receivers at all, really. They just kind of draft them and keep them and Hmm. kind of groom them to be where they are right now. And I think Chase Claypool is probably the second best wide receiver on this roster. There's many people who would disagree because of Deontay Johnson's route running. Uh, As you had Lewis Riddick on, that was one of the things he really talked about. Yeah, we love that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, great. But that's a fair point. And I think you can easily have the opinion of putting, you know, I think all of us put Juju at one and then having Johnson at 2A and Claypool at 2B, 2A being interchangeable. I accept that as as an outside opinion for anybody looking at our team. But there's different things to like about each player. I mean, obviously they have different skill sets. Mm-hmm. Juju being the big slot, you've got um, Claypool extending the field over there at the Z position, and you have DJ over at the X position, who gets the majority of the, the uh, targets. So everybody has their their job, and I'm excited to see how this works out. But so this seems to be fairly well ranked, it looks like. But don't they readjust the numbers mid season once they start? During, seeing how yeah, during go? the season, yeah. uh, certain players like one of the big ones was. James Robinson last year he was absolutely going off in fantasy and he started the year off like with horrible ratings 
And then progressively throughout the year, he got better and better. And we've seen that for going back multiple years uh, in Madden where during the season, they'll, they'll update the ratings they, on Instagram a lot. They'll have uh, like Chad Ochocinco wearing like a ratings adjuster thing. And he'll be on the sideline with a clipboard. <laughs> that thing. Nice. And then you see like somebody goes like plus one speed or something like that. So yeah, it, it's something that they do during the season. Fun. That's fun. So now let's, let's talk about the defensive side of the football. I know you said that TJ Watt has, is ranked currently is the third ranked outside linebacker, a guy that the two times should have been defensive player of the year now being ranked third at outside linebacker, Cam Hayward, fifth ranked at edge and to it, uh, 89 average over ninth rank. Is this all for the same, the same slot? Do they kind of lump defensive tackle on the edge together for the, for the rankings or are they still kind of split? So it was kind of weird how they did it. So they had uh left, left end and right end. And then for defensive tackle, neither Stefan to it nor Cam Hayward were listed at defensive tackles. But I just think okay. that's a result of the kind of formation that is run. I think uh, uh, the 3-4 uh, formation that is run by the Steelers. Yeah. And so as a result of that, you have – I'm looking at the list right now. T.J. Watt, 94 overall, tied with his brother J.J. Watt, which I think is a little interesting because yeah. I was, at this point in J.J. Uh, Watt's career, his brother is better than him. But right. in terms of, of other things, like now looking at it, he's tied for second with Chandler Jones, who I really don't have any argument with Chandler Jones – since he's gotten to the Cardinals has been absolutely phenomenal for that defense. Right. And uh, when it comes to Khalil Mack, I mean, Khalil Mack might be, it's either him or Miles Garrett as probably the two best pass rushers outside of obviously an Aaron Donald. I wouldn't classify Aaron Donald as a pass rusher just because he's, he's a disruptor. He's an absolute disruptor. Yeah, He's yeah. a defensive tackle and right. defense. And more defensive tackle, and he's more put on the inside than, say, a Khalil Mack. Exactly. But I think you could put T.J. Watt right up there with Khalil Mack, especially with uh, T.J. Watt's age and then also factoring his health. I, I mean, it's it's hard to say that he's not one of the best, if not the best, edge rusher in the NFL right now. And then there's other players on this list, such as um, Von Miller, who's been in the league for a while. He's getting older in his age, but... I mean, a fair, fair rankings for here. In in my humble opinion, obviously there's people who may disagree with me, but I think when it comes to these ratings, one of the big things is speed and yeah. athleticism. That gets rated much higher than than uh, run run um, or block shedding or tackling or that kind of thing. Yeah, when you have really point. athletic players on the defensive or offensive side of the football, they get tend to be higher ranked and stuff. So that's why I feel as though somebody like miles Garrett, who's super fast. He has one of the fastest speed ratings. He he's higher on the speed rating than TJ Watt. Mm. He's going to get ranked higher, uh, partly due to that certain aspect. Cause once you get into the mid to high nineties, these players are going to be having pretty much relatively the same, uh pass pass rushing attributes and it's just kind of like where they fall on the physical spectrum and like what they are really really good at they have a 99 in uh like finesse moves or power moves or something like that that'll edge them above the other player yeah so and i mean cam hayward 
Stefan Tewitt, I think uh, watching those people, specifically Cam Hayward, even though he is relatively older, he's still able to be such a disruptor, like you said, with Aaron Donald. Yeah. Stefan yeah. Tewitt is – I was interested – I was surprised to see him on his list because I didn't really hear too much about him last year in terms of uh, Pro Bowl or for an all-pro team, but he's really performed really, really well. And the interesting player, too, that everybody's talking about here in Steeler Nation from Madden is Minka Fitzpatrick and his ranking. So, Zach, get into it a bit here. Where do they have Minka ranked at safety? Is it valid? Are they idiots? What's going on here? Okay, so here's multiple things. And after I make, after I make my point, I think I will get fired because <laughs> what I'm going to say <laughs> So currently yes. he is tied. He is tied with the um, eighth and ninth spot. He's ranked 10th, but he is tied currently with two players above him. And so those two players, I'm trying to look it up. Uh, right Eddie now. Jackson and Aaron Amos, the, the ones you have him tied with? Adrian Amos. and Or Adrian and, Amos, yeah. Uh, both 89s overall, and then Minka Fitzpatrick had the 89 overall. Mm. And – I think I think let's just go through the whole list because this is probably the biggest uh, contention that Steeler Nation has. So you have Tyron Matthew, Buda Baker, Devin McCourty. And Jesse- this is what we're going one, two, three right now, right? Tyrion yeah. Math, Ty- Tyron Matthew number one, Buda Baker two, yeah. McCourty, Jesse Bates the third, Justin Simmons, Jamal Adams, Harrison Smith, and then the three of Eddie Jackson, Adrian Amos, and Minka Fitzpatrick. Now. The 10th player on this list is only six overall less than the number one Mm. player on this list. And that's Tyron Matthew. And now there's multiple things to get in when talking about this current player. Now there was a, there was a picture put out on the Steeler nation Twitter, which I had a little bit of an issue with. It's kind of a safety comparison. Uh, It was uh Minka versus Justin Simmons, and it kind of had the completion percentage, the touchdowns allowed, the passer rating allowed, and the interception per- percentage yeah. between these two players. And looking at it at face value, you're like, Minka's lower in all of these. Like, he has a lower completion, touchdown allowed, passer rating, inter- and he has more interception percentage. Mm-hmm. Like, he's clearly the better player. Easily. But you have to remember that twice a year Minka is playing Baker Mayfield twice a year. He's playing Lamar Jackson and twice a year he was playing Joe Burrow. Yep. When these stats were made. And then on the other side, Justin Simmons twice a year, he's paying this guy named Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. And then he's also playing Justin Herbert who won rookie of the year. Yep. That's and true. Also, yeah. He's playing against Derek Carr, who's mm-hmm. obviously not Good quarterback, not a, outstanding quarterback but i would say he's pretty much just good. equal to baker mayfield exactly so, yeah with that being said Agreed. i didn't want to i didn't want to go out and and kind of voice my opinions on on twitter or anything like that because i was worried that people underneath me would be like you're a traitor you don't love the steelers <laughs> and and so i kind of wanted to wait until we got on the podcast to kind of voice voice my opinion i i've said in uh the group me that we have in steel nation that i i do believe that justin simmons is a better safety than minka fitzpatrick i think once you talk yeah. about safeties yeah it's really hard especially for me somebody who 
doesn't really know the game of football that well. I mostly rely on things like pro football focus. And then also when watching the games, people color analysts kind of talking about what these guys do well, and just also just watching them and being able to see like replays of what after the snap, what a certain safety does, how much ground he moves, how fast he moves. And I think Justin Simmons to be able to play in that environment or in that division, I should say, in the NFC West, I mean, AFC West, and to be able to not really lock down, but to be able to kind of help against a Patrick Mahomes, against a Derek Carr, and a Justin Herbert, who I think next year is going to be even better than he was last year. I think to have Justin Simmons on your team is so much more important. And I think a lot of these uh, safeties that were put on this list were – Pretty much, it was sort of fair, in my opinion. I mean, looking back at the list, Jamal Adams and Harrison Smith, both at 90 overalls. Harrison Smith seems kind of old. Jamal Adams is kind of a one-trick pony, but still him as as a pass rusher at the safety position, he is one of the greatest of all time at that. He is extremely explosive and disruptive. And then... The only other one that I would have an issue with would be Devin McCourty, just because he hasn't really been able to kind of have that impact on on the Patriots defense, because I feel more that's more of the scheme and the coaching of Bill Belichick than it is actually Devin McCourty. So I would say probably those are my only things. I I would say maybe you could bump Minka Fitzpatrick up to a 90 or 91 overall, but at that point you're just picking hairs. So here's me playing devil's advocate with your, with your argument. And, you know, Mika Fitzpatrick, to me, it doesn't matter what his ratings are on a video game. The same thing, people being upset about Ben Roethlisberger ranked 17th, like on a video game. I don't give a crap. We, yeah. we all know Ben Roethlisberger to play. We all know Ben Roethlisberger is going to win 10 games minimum and get us to the playoffs. But we also know that Mika Fitzpatrick is an all pro. <laughs> you know, he's being voted by players as being the top safety in the league. That's fine. But here's you, I really liked your argument. I really liked you focusing on those quarterbacks in that division, focusing on San Diego, focusing on Kansas City, focusing on uh, the Raiders. Uh, but one thing you have to realize, all three of those teams that Justin's going up against, they're all passing teams. They, they aren't reliant on running backs the way that Baltimore is a running team, the way that Cleveland is a balanced team, you know, majority with running. So, and, and as a devil's advocate, listening to that argument, wouldn't that mean that Justin would get more opportunity to be able to defend passes, to be able to put up better numbers than Minka Fitzpatrick, whereas Minka Fitzpatrick is still putting up better numbers against primarily more of a rushing team. We know Joe Burrow had to throw the ball a lot and, uh, in um, Cincinnati. So I'm not going to lump them in as much with Cleveland and, and Baltimore, but we know Baltimore is a running team. Like they are like old school. They throw the football maybe 20 times, 25 times a game. But these other teams we're talking about Kansas city, uh, Carr, Humphreys, they're up 30, 40 times a game that we know they're throwing the ball. Like it's not out of the, out of the uh, the stratosphere to think that they're going to hit 50 in a game every once in a while. We were the only team in the division that was throwing it 50 times a game. (laughs) That's with Ben Roethlisberger because we had to get it out in one second (laughs) to try to make plays. So, so just to me that, that makes for Steeler nation thinking about this argument. It's an interesting argument. I love the argument. There's just different ways to also, you know, utilize stats to 
fit different arguments. So I, I love that, that we're able to talk and, and, and uh, explain these types of things. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely can see. And when also in terms of quarterback, also the receivers that you're going against in the division as well. Right. Specifically with uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, you have straight killers out there with Travis yes. Kelsey and then also Hill as well. Harry Hill spreading down yeah. the field. So it makes, yeah. it makes the job as a safety that much more complicated. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It's a definitely a, a big argument. And like you said, like these are somebody else's opinions and these are ratings, but it's still fun to sit down and, and talk about and kind of get your, yeah. the, um, what the ratings are and if they got it right or if they got it yeah. wrong. And the last last ratings that we wanted to talk about here are the rookie ratings. And you've stated and you've researched that Najee is tied number three overall, same as Travis Etienne, and that's for all rookies, correct? Yes, that is for all rookies. The current highest rated rookie right now is actually Kyle Pitts. And I just saw this little nugget. It said Kyle Pitts is actually has the highest speed and acceleration of any tight ends in the in the game so that's a wow (laughs) then behind him trevor lawrence jalen waddle uh patrick sertain and then Najee harris uh right after that and interesting uh, the interesting thing is going back to that draft i didn't i didn't think that travis Etienne was as good as Najee harris Mm -hmm. and i wasn't surprised that he was drafted after i was kind of surprised that he went that late into the into the first round because I felt like there were some other teams who could have definitely used him. Yeah. But Urban Meyer went out and said, we want to use this kid as, as a pass catcher. We want it. We don't want him to be only running. Yeah. We want him to be going out for passes and stuff like that. And I think as a result, that's why they drafted him at where they did. And I do think that when Najee Harris was drafted, it was kind of a, a sign of, the Steelers going back to that power running game where, cause they, they easily could have picked up any other player, a wide receiver, that position, a flashy player or a star defensive player or an offensive lineman. Some people would <laughs> say they should have gotten an offensive lineman, but to get a player like Najee Harris, somebody who can immediately make an impact, I think was probably the right choice. We will see in the upcoming season, but in terms yeah. of other rookies, uh, I, it is of my opinion that Najee Harris was pretty much by far the best running back in this class. You had Travis Etienne who played with Trevor Lawrence in college. So you had a lot of those defenses, defenses such as Syracuse or, yeah. or something like that, who yeah. weren't going to be loading up the box to go against Travis Etienne. Right. You see in the, um, even in the championship games and in the, in the college football playoff, you can see the type of defenses that they were playing. They were basically playing four, four, sometimes five cornerbacks. They were playing against the pass. They weren't worried about Travis Etienne, and then that ultimately ended up opening space for him to run. And right. so that's how he was to get a lot of his yards. Whereas on the flip side, with Najee Harris, you saw teams just loading up the box, specifically in that SEC where it's a lot of run dominance. And then that, as a result, would allow Tua or whoever the quarterback was to throw the ball that much more. And so I think that's the big difference between these two players. And that's why I think that Najee Harris, 
I mean, in terms of ratings, like we said over and over, he could have been rated higher or lower or anything like that. But it's my opinion that he was the best running back in this class and then he is pretty far ahead of Travis Etienne, which I think most people would agree with. Yeah, and, and I agree with you on Pitts. He's an absolute freak. That guy's gonna be something else. I mean yeah. he's just off the charts. I really wanted him at tight end, obviously, but I was I, if I knew he wasn't going to the Steelers and I was actually even considering in as much it being an armchair GM taking Fryermuth in the first round because I didn't think he'd be there in the second round, but since he wasn't there in the second yeah. round, it's freaking awesome. Cause Steelers really needed a tight end, no depth behind Ebron and just had, had to get somebody. So that's it. Steeler. I mean, finally, at least we got to talk about the Madden rankings. Thank you very much for bringing up this topic. I know Steeler nation is always excited to talk about this. Shane Burgess over here on YouTube stating when people have leave the Steelers, their ratings go up. But when people join the Steelers, their ratings go down. Coincidence? <laughs> so I, I like that as well. Every it's the, the Steeler bias over there at at for the John, for the John Madden football ratings, and maybe that black and gold drops you down a couple pegs. We'll have to see here coming up. But it's just, it's just a game. It's not the game that matters, which is the one that's on the field. Now it's time for questions from Steeler Nation. Uh, last chance, guys, to get your questions in over here on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll be getting to you in a second. First, we always go to the SteelerNation.com forum members that get to ask the questions because we put it out first on the SteelerNation.com forum. Please come over and join. It's free to join. Excellent football conversation over there, and it's always a lot of fun. Slash Steel asks, what do Yins feel about the depth at tackle, offensive tackle? For me... Uh well, for me personally, oh, I, yeah, no problem. For me personally, I think it's thin. I think we are thin right now for depth at offensive tackle, but we have our top three already set. We got Chooks on left side. We got um, Banner on right side. Actually, we, we still have Haig as well as a veteran uh, swing tackle, and we have Moore as, a, as the drafted rookie who looks like he's starting to get some snaps now with the ones and will normally be with the twos once Chooks comes back. So to me, it seems like, you know, they're not as deep as they, they're, they should be, but with those four, I'm actually pretty solid. Now I'm thinking about those four players, you know, I, I know there's question marks about banner. I think that he's going to be a monster. I absolutely think Banner's going to be a monster. Uh, Chooks is already a starting tackle. Now he's going to his natural position it's a tougher position to play in the NFL though. So we'll have to see how he reacts to that, but you know, Haig can come in and fill in as a, as a veteran backup. Same thing with more. I, I think more will evident eventually win this uh, extra tackle role and be our extra tackle this season. He's very mobile. Uh, seems like a little bit more mobile than Haig, but we'll have to see that coming up. And also, you know, Rashad Coward can still bounce out to the right tackle spot if he's needed. So I think he's going to end up making the team too with, with the being guard depth, to tell you the truth, since he's both left and right guard capable. Yeah, and kind of piggybacking off of you, I'm looking at the Steelers' website right now, just at their depth chart, with uh, Chooks over at left tackle, Kevin Dotson, JC, I don't know how to pronounce that last name, I'll just call him JC. Oh, Hassanauer, yeah. Hassanauer. Hassanauer, JC Hassanauer. That's a, if that ain't a Pittsburgh name for Myron Cope to say, I don't know what is. Yoey. <laughs> I mean, during the season, I definitely feel like there could be some shifts with uh, some of the rookies on that because it's a relatively on the backside, a young offensive line. 
So maybe during the season, if, if they do see maybe on the practice squad or on during practice, I should say, they see some of the younger rookies or second, third year players, such as a Kendrick Green, somebody who we've talked about multiple times, great college football player, huge guy. Maybe we could see him kind of jumping over JC mm. and possibly getting that starting center position. But I think as of right now, for the first couple weeks of the season, it makes sense to keep this offensive line unit together because you have a new running back coming in who's going to be the first first option in terms of the running game. And I think as a result, they're probably going to try and keep it the same way just to get that continuity. So I would say for the first couple weeks, they keep the same offensive line unit. Yep. And will Haskins win the backup quarterback spot over Rudolph? For me, I don't think it's – it may not happen this year, but it may happen next year to determine who the starting quarterback will be next season because I don't think Ben's going to be on the team next year. No. I don't. I, I think this is his last year. I, I just – I really do. Okay, that's that's interesting. So I do think, like Tom Brady, Ben Roethlisberger is going to play two more years. So this season and then next season is going to be his last year. And this season, I think – Dwayne Haskins, I, my first article with Steeler Nation was talking about this, where I thought going into camp and going into the season, will Dwayne Haskins actually become the starter? And now we can see he's not going to be the starter. But I think throughout the season, because of his play, he's going to be the second string quarterback on that roster. And now Mason nice. Rudolph has the advantage of being somebody who's played in that offense for longer, not with Matt Canada, but in terms of just being with the Steelers for that much longer. So right. throughout the entire off season, he was ranked higher on the depth chart. Yes. Just because of his familiarity with the system. And then also with what Mike Tomlin wants to do on offense. But I think in terms of a talent, in terms of a readiness to play, yeah, I would yeah. put Dwayne Haskins second on that on that depth chart throughout the entirety of the season. And then, like you said, next year, if Ben Roethlisberger retires, hmm. maybe he's the starter. I don't see the Steelers really being able to draft uh, a top-of-the-line quarterback that would be able to beat out Dwayne Haskins or Mason Rudolph in camp. I don't know if they'll be able to draft that high in the draft. And last question from Slash Steel, Brooks Mallett or Pierre, which one wins the most significant reps? And from right now, it looks like at least for – the slot safety or the slot corner role, Brooks and Mallet are, are getting a lot of reps. Brooks has the advantage right now, but Pierre is getting a ton of reps over there on the outside corner position, especially with Hayden getting held out sometimes for practice. He comes in and he's playing and he's playing well. And he was playing well last year when they were throwing him in reps. He got in, in the playoff game and had some reps on defense. So I really like what Pierre is doing. He's developing. He's a big corner. He's got length. He's that 6'2 size that we always like for our corners when we end up, <laughs> for some reason, drafting these 5'10 guys to play outside. But I like a guy with a little bit more length like Pierre, like Hayden, uh, to be able to go out there and make some plays. So so we'll, we'll see. But, yeah, I'm excited to see him getting some more reps as well. Yeah, I mean, you got Antoine Brooks at 5'11", 210. And then you got James Pierre at six foot one eighty five. Yeah, I mean you got two nearly two. six two. Yeah, yeah. I mean you got it's kind of a. Do you want somebody who's 
uh, smaller but can be able to push around the the at the line of scrimmage much better or do you want somebody who's longer who can go up for those contested catches it, and they're different positions too you know brooks is a slot mallet's a slot you know we know pierre is going to be edge so you know i don't really want to compare them that way but i'm excited to see what they can do definitely absolutely and then coley man asks us who are the starters for offensive line week one do you have your five starters for offensive line zach I, yeah, I think, I think like I said earlier, just in terms of continuity and in terms of experience, I don't think there will be too much uh, differences or anybody moving up or down throughout this training camp. So I would say Chuke, Dotson, JC, Trey Turner, and Zach Banner. That will probably be mine. But I think later on during the season, we could see that center position kind of change because Kendrick – Green was drafted relatively high for his position. And I feel as though they might want him to be kind of the future of that offensive line to right. kind of that next starting group. And, and also he's relatively cheap right now. So why not? <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's for me too. Like mine has changed a little bit. Cooley's asked me this before. Uh, Chooks and Banner are definitely going to be locked into my tackles. Uh, Dotson and Turner are going to be locked into my guards. Obviously, my first one the last time he asked me was David Castro back when he was still with the team. Fortunately, never practiced, and and and, and we had to uh, let him go. But Turner's definitely going to be the starter. Now, it comes down to center, who I initially said would be B.J. Finney. Uh, I liked him over Hassenauer at least to start coming out. But with both B.J. Finney and Hassenauer being banged up in training camp, Green has gotten all of the snaps, essentially. Uh, they, they've been bringing another guy to, to get snaps too. Um, it starts with an L. I forget the guy's name, um, but he's been getting some snaps as well. But I mean, Green, if as long as he's performing well, and it seems like he's getting, he's showing his mobility, being able to get out there in space and ahead of the plays for screen passes, which is something that the Steelers always love to have in their centers is their mobility. All their great centers were mobile, so. Green might be the edge now to beating out Finney in my top five now moving forward. And then Lido's had one more question on uh, the injury front was when will Dotson play? Because he hasn't been participating in training camp at all. Um, today, at least what I've researched over from the, uh, the people that have been, been uh, keeping track and listing him he's listed his day-to-day we still don't know exactly what his injury is but he had his helmet he was running with the twos early in training camp before we had the people in here now watching training camp but currently he's dressing but he's not and he's doing some workouts but he's not on the field yet so maybe another week or two before he gets on the field but at least if he's out there and he's and he's in his uniform that that's usually a good determining factor that he's going to be ready to go in a week. So he's not going to play this week in this game, but we'll see next week what he's going to be doing. And over here, over on YouTube real quick. Do you think Ingram will play any middle linebacker? That's a question over there by Brian Brown. Brian, thank you so much for contributing today, Brian. You've been very active over there on the, uh, the YouTube side for the comments. Um, personally for me, I don't think Ingram is an inside linebacker at all. He's strictly played outside linebacker his entire career. And I think the Steelers are really thick at inside linebacker, especially with all these younger players starting to show flashes. I don't really think that. And plus we had an inside linebacker already moved from inside linebacker 
to safety or, or to uh, from 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 safety to inside linebacker. Sorry, the other way around. So when we had Marcus Allen, another Penn Stater, uh, going from uh, from safety back up to inside linebacker, we're, we're thick at inside linebacker, and I like who we have right now. Even with the depth, I don't think we need uh, Ingram to even be there. We we definitely need him to be at the veteran swing tackle starting off till Roche can get some snaps and get some quality snaps. So do you think that they'll either change their formation? Because, I mean, you look at – he currently at the depth chart right now, he's behind Alex Eisman. So it's kind of a dilemma. He's obviously not going to take T.J. Watt's spot. So No, he, he's not going to take Highsmith's spot either, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, and that was the whole thing when we brought him onto the team. We talked with Justin – with uh, was it Justin Houston as well? He ended up going to the Ravens, but Houston wants to be a starter. And Steelers know, like, we have our starters. We need somebody to be a swing guy to relieve our starters. And then should something happen to a starter, you're going to be playing. Like, that was the way that this was phrased going into finding a outside linebacker that's going to fit in our scheme. We love Highsmith. And I think all of us are going to love Highsmith uh, once we get into the season because he's going to be – he's already showing more moves and more diversity than Bud Dupree did in his second year. And even in his first year, he showed better pass rushing capability in his first year than Bud showed in his first year, being drafted farther down, smaller school. It's interesting to see, like, we actually pick somebody that can develop really well in this system, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, we also have a, a quick question here from Carlos Daniel Goncalves, Mr. Litos over on the SteelerNation.forum board. Good to hear from you. Is this Lane's last chance? Um Personally, I think Justin Lane has to really do well in training camp to make it on this team. He's got a he's got a chance of being cut. I mean, he's got good size. He was making some plays early for us last year. This year, it doesn't seem like he's making as many plays. Obviously, he had his, his issues there off the field as well. So if if he can't beat out some of these younger corners beside behind him, there might be a chance of him. Not making the team. I, I can see that happening. And I'm trying to see who's right here quickly behind him on the corner. Because we've got him listed at left corner as the backup. Yeah, Demarcus AC. I've been hearing some good things about him, as well as uh, Shakur Brown. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, you, you've got some young guys. And even Marcus Gilbert making a little bit of waves here also. Uh, and, and these are all, like, college free agents that I'm talking about. So it'll be interesting to see um, if one of these college free agents outplays Pierre for that last roster spot, because that is something that could legitimately happen. Good point there, Carlos. And that's all the questions we have Steeler nation. So thank you very much for, for chiming in and giving us all this great material today. Zach, once again, thank you very much, too, and bringing your insight and your your great ideas here to talk about Madden as well. I wouldn't have thought to talk about him, so I'm glad you came on the show to educate me, educate the rest of Steeler Nation. And thank you, as always, for being on the show. And tell Steeler Nation how to follow you. Yeah, on uh, Instagram, uh, Zach, Moore, Zach Moore underscore sports. And then on Twitter, it's just Zach Moore sports. I have a Patreon if you if you want to pay for literally the same thing that I post on Instagram and Twitter. It helps pay the rent, pay keeps the lights on and in this lovely apartment behind me. But yeah, that's pretty much how you just follow me. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, you can catch me walking around Pittsburgh and Homestead every once in a while. Come up and say hi. That'd be really cool to get some for some of this. Yeah, and also check him out on the website, guys. Steeler Nation. He's one of our featured writers. He's got great content. He's a smart guy. SteelerNation.com, best place to check him out. So be talking to you soon there, Zach. Thanks for joining us again, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It is always, always a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you, sir. (laughs) Steeler Nation, be sure to come on over to SteelerNation.com to read our great, great articles by Zach and myself, I haven't been writing as much lately. I've been doing more of the uh, the media aspect of this as of late, but I will be writing some articles here coming up soon. Tweet us at Steeler Nation. Instagram us at SteelerNation.com. Follow the Steeler Nation podcast on Twitter at, SN, uh, at underscore SN podcast. And follow me, your host, Steeler Nation Striker, on Twitter and Instagram at SN Striker, spelled with a Y. Thanks for joining us for the SteelerNation.com podcast, sponsored by Total Sports Enterprises, I'm your host, G-Striker, with Zach Moore, rooting along with you as always. 